Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And uh, we have a, a a friend of a friend on the show today, John Busacker. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Well, it's so great to be here. And many of you guys I know over time have heard me talk about Marsha Gordon from Halftime Institute. She and I went to Rwanda together for Bridge to Rwanda with Dale Dawson and the whole team. And have just become uh, lifelong friends. And through that, Gordon or uh, Marsha is like, you know what? You really got to meet my friend, John Busecker. He's doing some amazing things in the world. He's a writer. He's a speaker. He's a coach. He founded a leadership development team that works with huge companies from Medtronic and, and Duke and Thrivent. Uh, I mean, the NFL. We've also done some speaking for the uh, Kingdom Advisors. And but one of the things, though, you you've had some significant highs and lows, and some things in uh, that have been happening to you, and I, I think we can all relate to this. Is John? You know what? This time, this period right now, there's a lot of things happening in so many people's lives. Either it's with their kids, the job, how they're looking at what's happening in the world, and you know what? You know what? It's creating. Here's what I'm seeing. It's creating like this pressure and this noise. And what I'm hearing from people that are reaching out to me, understanding God's will, hearing his voice, letting his spirit into our life in a way that leads us. I think uh, it feels to me that for many people, that's become harder, if that makes sense. And you had written a book. Um, you're living there in Minnesota. Actually, you're, you're, uh, you're right, where, right near where I grew up, which is really cool. We were kind of catching up on that a little bit. And have this great family, but you wrote a book called Gasping for Breath, and it's all about how do we really partner with the Father? How do we really invite um, God's Spirit into this overwhelmed life? Quiet that noise and that pressure and get some clarity. But, you know, before we get into that, John, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about kind of your journey, your story. Yeah, thanks, John. I am... Um... I am fortunate to have married my high school sweetheart over 42 years ago. And, oh, what? Uh, now, what high school? Uh, we both went to Milwaukee Lutheran High School. So we're oh, both, Milwaukee uh, Lutheran there, you know. That's Lutheran, a good school there. Lutheran, you know. We, uh, we both grew up in the Milwaukee area. All of our families were around the Milwaukee area. And um, uh, we met when we were... 15 believe it or not wow married married after we both graduated from college we didn't uh, go to the same uh college i went to a small uh, liberal arts college carol is a nurse by background she went to nursing school and then we moved uh shortly after we were married to cleveland ohio which i don't uh, admit to many people publicly <laughs> cleveland we lived in cleveland back when it was accurately known as the mistake by the lake uh, the Cuyahoga River burned. Uh, Lake Erie was condemned. Dennis Kucinich was mayor. The uh, city declared bankruptcy. It was a, it was an interesting place to start our relationship. We lived there for a couple of years. Moved back to Milwaukee for two years. Lived out in Seattle, Washington, for six years, and then we've been here in Minnesota uh, since the early '90s. I've had three. Distinctly different, but uh, connected careers. I was a high school educator and counselor in Cleveland. I was in financial services for 14 years as a financial advisor, and then uh, helped with a partner co-manage two large financial service practices. And then for the last 26 years, I've been in uh, leadership development. 
as a partner in a, in a small firm for 20 years. And then I've just been on my own with my own practice the last six years, working with primarily senior leaders and in the area of their personal leadership. So who they are and how they conduct themselves with character and integrity and consistency so that people might actually want to follow them. You know, question for you, you know, you know, through that career, having been a leader and worked with um, a lot of leaders, what, what, you know, just for people out there today, before we kind of get into this, right, what, what advice do you have for people that are in any kind of leadership role, whether they're, you know, maybe more junior and, and they're leading a small team for the first time, or they're, you know, they're the head of an organization, but, but right now it just, uh, you know, with the remote working and the lack of connection and collaboration is harder. Just, I, I just love your, your just, Hey, what, you know, sitting around a fire pit and somebody says, Hey, John, you know, what are your thoughts? I have lots of thoughts. One is that uh, you can't effectively lead others uh, unless you're effectively leading yourself. And so it actually, it actually begins with self-leadership. So knowing who you are, knowing how God has gifted you, knowing what your core values are, um, knowing how those core values connect with uh, the organization that you may be a part of, it, it all begins there. And so you need to have rhythms, practices in place yourself so that you can effectively lead yourself. And then you may be able to effectively lead others Part of that is just how, having practices that allow you to stay healthy, physically, emotionally, spiritually healthy, because leadership is difficult. Interacting with human beings is difficult. It takes energy, no matter how you slice it, to really be in relationship with people, which is what leadership is, it, it takes energy. And so you need to have practices, rhythms yourself that replenish your own relationship on all those different levels. And that has become increasingly difficult during this time, as you pointed out, John, this time of COVID where people are more isolated, we're doing more things via Zoom, we're less in relationship in person with people. Those rhythms and practices and self-leadership become even more important. They're vitally important now, more than ever. And when you say self-leadership, you know, that makes me think of, it was a research project done by the Stanford uh, Business School, their PhD program. And they went and interviewed like a thousand leaders across every sphere, uh, you know, business, technology, uh, the church world, government. Like, I mean, they, they did, they interviewed people. And here was their goal, John, to say, is there one thing? Is there one thing that says, you know, that this is going to be like the marker of somebody who's an effective leader. And, uh, you know, whether people are, you know, you look at the disc profiles, are they in a certain domain? Are they introverts, extroverts? None of that mattered. You know, the one thing that the leaders that they determined were effective had in common, and that was self-awareness. Yeah. You know what? Mm -hmm. And that is the first step. If anybody's here has ever read or researched on emotional intelligence, and here's my opinion, emotional intelligence, that entire field of study is the world try, is trying to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in mm -hmm. us in leadership. Mm -hmm. In my, that, That's how I see it. Every time I 
read a book, I'm almost like, wow, it's like somebody took all these concepts out of scripture, but forgot to include the uh, the references. You know what I'm saying? John? Right, right. They forgot to footnote it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So what is, so, you know, uh, what is self-leadership really look like, right? I like, I, I know, like I'm busy, you know, one of my focuses this year, and I, I keep saying it and I have not been, I've not made it a priority, but is to start getting up at the same time every day, developing a, a morning routine. I want to get up. I want to abide. I want to eat healthy, uh, abide by reading the word and journaling and, and, and then um, eating healthy and having a, a little workout before I even start my day. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know in my head that if I did that every day, what I'd be able to accomplish would be um, significantly more than I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably be able to do it with less energy because I'd be mm-hmm. energized. But what does leading yourself look like? So one of the things uh, you referenced uh, the book that I co-authored that released earlier, well, I guess it's last year now, amazingly, we're in 2022 here, released uh, February of last year. So one of the things we write about is uh, establishing a rule of life, a rule of life. And so I, my parents who are both deceased now would, just to hear me say the word rule, they are, they're chuckling right now just thinking about it because I was not known as a rule follower when I was a young man growing up in their house. Uh, but the idea of a rule of life is, uh, in this sense, a rule, uh, the word, it, it means a trellis. So if you think about uh, uh, vines, like grapevines, there's a lot of imagery in scripture. Jesus spoke often using agricultural terms and imagery because among other things because of the people he was speaking to plus it's timeless so if you think about um grapevines if grapevines are just left uh, to their own device just willy-nilly um, they will undoubtedly be on the ground and then they will fall prey to vermin and bugs and weeds and they will not grow to be healthy grapevines they won't produce wine they'll just be weeds basically and so a rule of life is a trellis. It's the system that holds up uh, grapevines, for example, so that they can grow to be healthy plants. Same thing with tomato plants. Uh, tomato plants, we, we grow tomatoes every summer here in Minnesota. We have tomato towers that hold them up so that they can grow to be healthy tomato plants and produce these beautiful tomatoes. A rule of life is the system that you have in your life that supports your life. It's the trellis that holds you up so that you don't fall prey to vermin and bugs and weeds, metaphorically, in your life. And so what you just mentioned, John, of getting up early in the morning, for example, reading scripture at the beginning of the day, exercise, those are all things that can be a part of a rule of life that allows you to effectively lead yourself, which allows you to effectively lead others, whether it's your children, grandchildren, to be in relationship, healthy relationship with your spouse, whatever your particular area of influence is, a rule of life is vital. And it's physical practices, spiritual practices, rhythms, and involves how you support being in intimate relationship with the Lord, which allows you then to effectively lead yourself and others. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, one thing that I have done that has helped immensely, it was actually somebody who was a guest on the podcast, 
all of us have our phone. We charge it by the bed. <laughs> it has become literally attached to us. I no longer right. carry a wallet. I got one of those little, you know, things for my phone where I can put a, a, my ID and credit card in here. I literally am never with, I, so I don't lose my wallet, so to speak, anymore, because I always know where my phone is. All right. But the first 30 minutes when I get up, I do not look at my phone because here's what I do know, because as soon as I see the notifications for text, emails, whatever it happens to be, I'm right. immediately pulled into the busyness of the day. And, right. and I got to tell you, that is bad self-leadership, just allowing yourself. I'm making a choice to lay there in bed and immediately start focusing on things that are probably not the most important or the most urgent. So here's a small rule of life thing for myself. First of all, back up just one step. So my friend and co-author Dave Johnson, who uh, was a pastor for 38 years of the church that we attended, um, uh, the book that we wrote, Gasping for Breath, we talk about this idea of rule of life. He tells a story in there of years ago, um, he was uh, running on a treadmill, and he was actually having it out with God. He was, he was having a, a discussion with the Lord saying, you know, this whole, you know, sitting still, meditating, quietly reflecting thing, God, I just, it, it's just, I, it's not me. It's really, really difficult for me to do because he's a very active literally ADD guy. So sitting still is not his natural posture. And he said he heard God say, not like audibly out loud, but what he, he sensed clearly in his scripture was God saying to him, look, when you run, I'll go along with you. So when you're running on the treadmill, I'll run with you. So the whole idea of a rule of life is what's your way? And it's not prescriptive. So one of my really, really simple practices, rule of life practices, is I actually don't bring my phone up next to the bed. I'm not saying this in any way judgmentally or, or pejoratively, but I'm saying because I am easily distracted, because my natural gravitational pull first thing in the morning is actually to check my phone, I plug it in downstairs and then go upstairs to bed. And so my phone, my computer, all my technology. No, you you know, right now you're giving me. people uh, um, panic attacks. Right now, John, they're they're, they're like, what? I don't even. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just saying that that I can't. I'm I'm so easily distracted, and and I think that is actually. I mean, Satan's Satan's workshop is distraction and division. Those are his two primary tools. He's not creative. He replicates what he's been doing since the beginning of time, and he distracts and he creates disharmony between people in congregations, in businesses, in marriages, and, and everywhere. And he's and really they, good at it because he's had a lot of practice. He's and had a is, lot of a lot of practice. It's what he does. Well, and if I can pull, you know, if I, you know, think about this, just uh, for everybody listening, because um, I was just talking to a client about this yesterday just the way they were raised. They, they, they just had this lens that they had to prove themselves. He, this person mm -hmm. was one of the most driven people. And we discovered that it really, it came from something that was said to him when he was um, 12 years old, that he'll never amount to anything. So he decided I'm proving everybody wrong. And, wow. and he did yeah. it in a, in a somewhat unhealthy way, nothing unethical, but just right. Total workaholic. 
Mm-hmm. And um, think about this: when when you when you are created in God's image, when that first happens, right? Here's my understanding, John: is that my right? We are created in God's image, right? We are His perfect workmanship. And and you had done some research on that word, and and from Ephesians two ten, it doesn't only mean workmanship. I love what you said. It also means masterpiece. It means poem, doesn't it? it I mean, it's yes. It yep. is a rich word if we think mm-hmm. about all these. But in that, in the spiritual realms, in the heavenlies, right, God and Jesus and all the angels can see that potential. They can see yeah. the our image. They can see our gifting. They can see those works that have been prepared. But that also means that the enemy can see it because it's visible in the spiritual world. And all Satan has to do is convince you um, around your identity, around your relationship with God, whisper things in your ear. And, I, and I, he was sharing something with me yesterday. And uh, what he said just struck me so discordant, right? Like, um, I have to, you know, do something. And I said, or if I don't do this, you know, this is what's going to be the consequence. And I said, well, whose voice are you listening to? Hmm. Right? Because I don't think that's how the father talks to us. And yeah. I think we have to be very, very aware to start inviting God into our, this overwhelmed life is to quiet the noise and start um, hearing the voices and understand, is that a voice that's coming from my own self-talk because I have a flawed sense of identity because I've let all this stuff in my whole life? Is this the enemy speaking thing and whispering little things? Nah, you can't do that. Nah, that team won't respect you. No, you can't have a great marriage. No, being an empty nester for you guys, it's going to be miserable now that the kids are gone. You know, I mean, because we're about to be empty nesters, right? These are all things that can creep in, and that's not the father talking to us. One of the things that um, I have no difficulty convincing people right now, actually, a number of years ago, it was more difficult. Today, it's like a no-duh sort of thing, convincing people that we live in a noisy world. Like everybody, everybody is conscious of that actually. And, and it seems like the voices literally in the world right now are shouting, like everybody on TV, on the radio, you know, people, people are just, they're shouting right now. And so people are very aware that we live in a noisy world. What people are unaware of or unclear of is how to quiet the voices so that we can hear the voice, God's voice. And that's more difficult now than ever because of tech. I, I love technology. I love that you and I are having this conversation using technology. What a blessing. I'm thankful that this goes out to places that you and I are. We have no idea where this podcast goes, how God might use this. That's amazing. Our son volunteered and lived for a year in in rural South Africa right after he graduated from college. We were able to connect with him via technology. That's amazing. However, the dark side of it, among other things, is that it it, it can so easily distract and create all of this noise, this signal interference that allows us to not hear the voice, God's voice. And so what, how do we quiet ourselves? How do we listen? How do we discern whose voice we're hearing? Is it just static or is it the voice of the Holy Spirit? That's the challenge, increasingly. 
Increasingly. And, and I want to bring you back, John, to a time too, because you've had some significant highs and lows, mm-hmm. but you were driving home from a meeting. It went awesome. All of us <laughs> have been in, you know, those meetings were like, oh my gosh, like everything lined up. It was right. great. Things are popping. You're feeling good. But then all of a sudden you got hit with a 50 caliber metaphorically <laughs> round to the chest. You had this, you, you felt like this hot coal just exploded in your chest. You thought you were having this massive heart attack. Can you bring us back to that period and walk us through what was going on? Cause I think that's what led you into the work you're doing now. That was, this was part yeah. of it. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was on my way home from downtown Minneapolis, December, four years ago. And as you said, it, it had been a great series of meetings uh, with a couple of uh, covenant clients, longtime clients sensing that things uh, were looking really good for the new year. And all of a sudden, uh, shortly before I got home, I felt viscerally like I was having a heart attack. I I could feel my blood pressure. I could, as you said, I felt like I had a 50-pound anvil on my chest. And so I'm married to a critical care, cardiac critical care nurse. And so the last thing I want to do is to go home and say, hey, I think I'm having a heart attack. So I did what any, uh, you know, she's going to go to like uh, zone five uh, level of alert. Deathcon four, right? So, I mean, so, so I did what any normal male would do in that circumstance. I pulled into the local food store, Cub Foods here in Minneapolis, uh, where they have a free blood pressure cuff to check my blood pressure. The stupidest thing you could possibly do, honestly. And sure enough, my blood pressure was off the charts. So uh, I drove home five minutes from their home and uh, walked in uh, it was a little bit before five o'clock. And as casually as I thought I could say, ask uh, Carol, I said, so how, how late do you think our doctor's office is open? And she immediately knew that that was not just a random casual question. But the, uh, the, the summary of the story is, uh, A, first of all, I wasn't having a heart attack. And we, we went and meet, rushed to the emergency room. They did all of the tests uh, and discovered there was, there was actually nothing going on with my heart. What it was was grief. We had had uh, seven people, all three of our remaining parents, my uh, favorite cousin growing up, uh, man that I was closer to than my brother, honestly, growing up two close friends and a sister-in-law all die that earlier that year in a space of seven months. My mother-in-law passed away and two weeks later, my father passed. So there was a period of time where Carol and I were driving from Minneapolis to Milwaukee um, or flying down there weekly and visiting our parents. My dad would be on one floor and my mother-in-law would be on another floor in the hospital. We had gone through this just crushing season of loss that year. And I thought that I had, I had dealt with it. I mean, I, or was dealing effectively with it. I mean, we, I had cried more than I had cried ever in my life. Carol and I were having wonderful conversations. I had drawn closer to the Lord and my faith. And yet there was just a lot of grief inside that uh, found its way out that December late afternoon, because our bodies don't lie. Grief mm-hmm. will find its way out always. And in this case, it found its way out physically, causing me literally to be gasping for breath. And uh, 
And so that was in part of the uh, inspiration to write a book on this topic of gasping for breath, because what I believe is that it's universal, that all of us at one time or another, in one way or another, maybe more than once in different ways, will find ourselves gasping for breath, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, relationally, professionally, we will find ourselves gasping for breath. And the truth is that that's not how we're designed to live gasping for breath, because it says in the very beginning of the story in Genesis, that the very beginning, God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and we became a living soul. And the word there, breathed, is not a then and there word. It's an imperfect verb, which in this case doesn't mean it's pretty good, but not quite perfect. It means that it, it, means that, that action of breathing, the same word as when God created the heavens and earth, the same word there created, that's an active word. He didn't just create then and there at the very beginning. He's still creating today. He's a creative God. And he didn't just breathe then and there. He's still breathing today. So John, in, in your life, in your nostrils right now, the Holy Spirit is breathing. And he wants us to be breathing easily and deeply in harmony, in rhythm with him. So when we're gasping for breath, that means that we're out of rhythm, out of step. And sometimes that's that's natural. So and you know that makes me think of when I was in the uh, in the military in the Navy, we had to do part of our flight training, we had to do uh, deep water survival training. Yeah. And one of the things that we had to do was drown proofing. <laughs> and basically you're, you're they're taking you right to the edge over and over and over because you have to know your limits because yeah. There are certain situations in the water if the plane or helicopter goes down where that, you know, those extra few seconds, you know, keeping your wits about you is life or death. Yes. But I got to tell you, being that close, if anybody's been underwater and you feel like I just I, I need to get to the surface, that the panic, the anxiety, the fear, mm-hmm. it's just this raw animal instinct to just claw your way to the surface that starts to emerge. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people right now are feeling, you know, elements of that in life. But but that is, what you're saying is that is not how God designed us to operate. No, I mean, so how do we close that gap? Yeah, sometimes it's acceptable. I mean, to be close to drowning and to have anxiety to be to be gasping. That's a natural physical response, right? But many times we do this actually, honestly, to ourselves, because we're trying to live out a false image of ourselves. We're trying to maintain some sort of an Instagram image of ourselves, for example, or we just haven't been paying attention to certain healthy spiritual practices or rhythms. And so we find ourselves. So you live in in, in Colorado. I'm a flatlander living here in, in, the, in Minnesota. You know, elevation here is like 600 feet. And so when... <laughs> When I visit our younger son out in Washington and we go hiking in the North Cascades, I'm like one mile out of the car and I'm gasping for breath. That's natural in that case because my my lungs are just not accustomed to it. But when we're gasping for breath spiritually, um, it's probably because we haven't been spending time in scripture. It's probably because our prayer life isn't as vibrant as it could be or should be. It's probably because we're not spending quiet periods of silence and solitude hearing the voice. It's probably because we're not paying attention to 
God's creation around us and reveling in the beauty of what God has surrounded us with, no matter where we live. And you have a quote in your book from Vince Lombardi, who said, mm -hmm. fatigue makes cowards of us all. Yeah. So how do we, you know, you know this is such a great topic because I, I think a lot of people right now are tired. Yeah. Right. I'm tired. Maybe I don't feel like doing these things. I'm just man managing things the best I can day to day. I got to tell you, I got, even for me, the last two years has been, it's been some tough sledding, so to speak. Yeah. Right. There's sometimes where, you know, what, what is it? Uh, today's, uh, I think a Tuesday we're recording this, but there's been times where like, you know, I, you know, get up Monday morning and I'm like, Lord, just show me the small step for today. Yeah. I can't really think past the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I have to pull all my focus into today because I just feel like my reserves are low and uh, I'm fatigued. And I think there's a lot of people that have some chronic fatigue um, as yeah. this has worn us down. And, right. and what are those small steps that we can take to start getting a little bit, you know, better in those areas? The heart of the book of Gasping for Breath, we wrote a chapter titled Learning to Breathe Deeply. And what it is, is it's a look at different spiritual practices or rhythms. But we try to approach them in, a, in an approachable way, in a way that doesn't... So many times I've heard um, speakers or writers talk about spiritual practices. I actually feel a sense of shame because I'm not getting up at five o'clock in the morning, lighting a candle, spending the first hour and a half of my day deeply reflecting on scripture, journaling my innermost thoughts, and then walking joyfully and relaxed into the day. I just, most days aren't like that for me. And so how do we practice these practices, but do it in an approachable way? So we wrote about silence and solitude and prayer and Sabbath and reverent wonder, but we wrote about them just exactly as you said, kind of taking small steps. So silence, for example, a small silent step is simply to turn off the radio in your car. So when you're commuting from point A to point B, rather than listening to the news, which is all bad anyway, rather than listening to sports talk, which is just discouraging here in Minnesota, because once again, the Vikings are out of the playoffs. I mean, rather than doing I know, that, it's hard to be a Vikings fan, John. I get it's, it. It's that, that, that alone will cause you to gasp for breath every year. But rather than, <laughs> rather than do that, just turn off the radio, for example. Solitude. It may be that you can get up early in the morning and spend long periods of time, but it may be that you know, just midday, you take a break and go for a walk. My practice there, three or four days a week as I get up early in the morning, we've got a 65-pound golden retriever that loves to walk. I take an early morning walk, and I take it quietly. And in the winter, it's harder. It's cold. It's dark. But it's every time I do it, I'm thankful that I've done it because it's a great time of just 40 minutes of silence and solitude. And I, and I spend most of that time praying, thinking, or just walking quietly and listening to what God's waking up in creation around me. So simple practices like that. We talk about all of those in a way that we think is approachable and, and not pejorative, not like you must do this, you have to do that sort of way. Well, yeah. And I, you know, and it's not just the, uh, I, I think the discipline, you know, to uh, itself, it's also 
you know, you look at how Jesus, uh, everything he did was about building relationships with those right. around him. Yeah. Right. So if I'm walking and it's silent, use that time to focus on that relationship to having yep. a conversation to thinking and let your brain bounce all over the place. And maybe you land on something and say, God, what's going on with that thought? Right. Can you help so, me understand that and process it. And, but you're giving yourself the space to not only have that as a discipline, but also as a way to, to build relationship. Like some of the, you know, my wife and I, we've been married 32 years. Sometimes just sitting on the couch next to each other. We're not even talking, but we're just, we're having a beautiful time. Yeah. No. Yeah. The other point here is it's, it's actually not what the practice or discipline is. It's what the discipline does. Mm-hmm. So it, the focus isn't the discipline itself of silence or prayer or Sabbath. It's actually what it does. And, and the purpose of it is to create intimacy with the Lord. And that's it. And so how you do it, it isn't as important as that you do it. And the purpose of it isn't so that you can, you know, check the box that you did it this day or this week, but it's that you actually, because of that, are closer to the Lord. And as a result, you're closer to others because God is relational. And so he desires that we're in relationship with others. So now on the other side of this, reading through your book and looking at uh, all, all this amazing things that you've shared as one learns to breathe, even in these very challenging situations to feel God's breath, to feel God's spirit, his presence, his voice. What is that that you see in people that have done that, that starts to show up in their life? The people that I know I'll give you a great example of this. So a uh, person that had a profound influence on my life, my own faith journey, I met him when he was 75 years old. And he uh, was a remarkable teacher of scripture. And um, I started just seeking him out one-on-one for uh, lunch. And every time we would meet, he became a very important mentor, discipler, of me for 11 years, Um, passed away a number of years ago at age 86. Every time we would meet uh, for lunch, um, he would just start rapid firing questions like one after another, not even waiting for an answer and get to about the fifth question. And he would be tapping something deep inside of me that I had no idea how he knew to ask that. And so one day I asked him, "How how did you after I stopped crying because he had touched something that was just way in there, I said, how did you know to ask that particular question? When I had first met him, he had asked me for a family photo. And I'd given him a photo of Carol and me and our two young boys at the time standing on the side of Mount Rainier. And uh, we all were, all four of us were wearing sunglasses. I remember this distinctly because he looked at the photo and looked up and kind of laughed and said, it looks like you're in the witness protection program <laughs> in this photo. He said, remember when you gave me that photograph? He goes, what do you think I asked you for that? Why do you think you asked me? And I said, I I had no idea. He goes, so every time before we meet, I spend time, usually an hour or more, looking at that photo and praying about you and about your family by name. And so when you come in, the Holy Spirit just directs me to ask. The people that I know, not everyone has the luxury of spending an hour in prayer before every meeting. I get that. He was a very unusual person in that way. But the people that I know that 
have a rule of life that live by a rule of life that have practices and, and, and practice them tend to be calmer. They're, they're more confident, not in themselves, but they're just, they're more settled, I guess is the word I would use. They just walk through the day without being anxious and without kind of running willy nilly from this appointment to that appointment. Um, they're just settled in their spirit because the Lord is directing their steps. Oh, wow. No, that makes me think of, you know, it's interesting. Uh, somebody did that to me, right? They wanted the picture of my family. And I got to tell you, that made such an impression mm -hmm. on me. I mean, that's such a, you know, the, the gift of that, you know, the prophetic to really just listen, right? Because that's not about us. That's about that's right. asking God to help us to help others. Mm -hmm. right? It's such mm -hmm. a place of service. So yeah. But everybody out there, I want you to stay connected and, and get in touch with John. The website is johnboosacker.com. It's B-U-S-A-C-K-E-R.com. And also there's a website for the book, gaspingforbreath.com. Great website. You can get a copy of the book. And just kind of as, you know, as we wrap this up, my friend, what final thoughts would you just leave with everybody? So the, uh, the epilogue of the book, we discovered something. Interestingly, Dave, you know, pastor for 38 years, you'd think he would have known this or preached this a few times during 38 years. I had never actually really seen this before in Scripture. In Mark 4, there's two parables of a sower going out to sow seed. The first one I've heard preached a million times. The second one I'd actually never seen before. The parable is the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and then he goes to bed at night which in, in most cases in scripture, when a person goes to sleep, that means that they died. In this case, he just goes to bed at night and falls asleep. And when he gets up the next day, he discovers the seed had sprouted and grown. And here's the punchline, but how he himself does not know. That releases all the pressure off of you and me and everybody else that's listening here. Our job is just to, is to throw out the seed. It, that's the deal. So just do what you do. You know, uh, go to work, tend to your children, change a diaper, um, just do what you do every day, just throw out the seed, and then God causes it to grow. And a lot of times we don't know how, we don't even see it actually during our lifetime. Much of what we do that God causes to grow, we'll never see it during our lifetime. But there's great for me, there's great hope in that, great optimism in that. First of all, it's not up to me. And then second of all, what happens as a result of it, I probably won't even know, and that's okay. Yeah, and I think, you know, throughout the day here, I've learned, God has taught me this. I shouldn't say instead of I learned. Here's what God's taught me. <laughs> Sometimes just those little nudges, you get a thought, hey, I should get my wife flowers today. Right. Hey, you know what? Uh, the family room's messy, and it's my son's time to turn, you know, to clean. Or my thought was, maybe I should just clean it, right? Or you know what? Maybe I should just stop right now and before this meeting and just say a little prayer and ask for God's guidance. But I think what happens is all of a sudden, you know, what we're so geared toward action and so busy in this world, what I found is as soon as I get that little thought that I should do something, I say to myself, three, two, one, go. And I make yeah, myself great. get up and just go do it. And I got to tell you, sometimes just doing those little things throughout the day, 
when you're in service to others, you're in service to God, just it keeps me connected. I think grafted into that vine, so to speak, because, you know, sometimes it's easy to ignore that small, quiet voice of the Lord. And the more you ignore it, the easier it is to ignore it. Right. Or if we no, start listening great. to it and we say, okay, because I'm not a journaler. I'm not a guy that sets up. I, I can't sit here for an hour in the morning quietly. That's just like, <laughs> you just gave me permission to actually, hey, I'm going to go do a Peloton workout. But you know what? I, I think this time I'm going to do the workout without the screen on mm. and just sit there on the bike and, and listen. Yeah, or terrific. Being, being uh, you know, being talked to the whole time. But John, thank you for the work that you're doing. I so appreciate it. And I really look forward to our next conversation, man. Keep knocking them alive out there. This is a, a message we all need to embrace. Thanks, John. It's been my pleasure. It's great to just spend some time with you. Thank you for that. Yes, you too. All right. See you, champ. All right. Bye-bye.